Hello everyone and welcome to Balls and Whistles, a sports podcast from Highland News and Media. I'm your sports editor, Will Clark. And after two weeks away, yes, ladies and gentlemen, he's back. Hendo, 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 Hendo. There you go. There's your flamboyant uh, introduction that you demanded. You changed plan. We were talking a little bit about this yesterday, and you gave me a heads up there was going to be music, but you changed the song. Yes, I did. I did think about using Macho Man. Uh huh due to your love of the gym, but uh, no, I went for that one instead. But welcome back. You know if Health and Liftness ever does come back for a season two, Macho Man should be their new theme song. Oh, Andy Dixon would demand that. Wouldn't he? I think yeah. that would suit him so well. Macho Man, Andy Dixon. Oh, now I'm just imagining all the wrestling impressions. Oh, dear. An idea in his head. Oh, dear. Sorry, Federica, you're going to have to edit this. Um, We've started the engine. We've lit the flame. <laughs> oh no. What have we done? Actually, what are we doing? We've done it again. Like two, three minutes into this episode, we haven't even acknowledged sport. We've barely got anything done. I could just see Andy Dixon and Health and Liftness going, What are you going to do when Andy Dixon runs wild over you? Oh no. Oh, we really have started something now, haven't we? Yeah. I mean, he does talk about how to get 24 inch pythons. <laughs> Sorry, Federica. Oh, no. Sorry to all our listeners. This isn't what you tuned in for. Yeah. Or is it? I really hope not. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Eric Carmen last week went down a treat. You really enjoyed that last week, didn't you? Well, uh, yeah, my mood changed as it went on. I think that was the most fun you've had, just listening to it, not being involved in it at all last week, since Yes, Her, I Can Boogie. What did you do in your holiday? I went and saw some friends. I went to a couple of gigs for the first time in years. I felt like I was reliving my glory days at uni. Uh, it was my brother's birthday as well, so I went back and saw him for a little bit. It was a good couple of weeks, but it's also good to be back because now we can do a podcast again, Will. Yay. I'm glad you're back so I don't have to edit it all again. <laughs> enough on my plate. Well, this is it. I've had my break now. I'm refreshed. I can jump straight back into the producing and editing of this podcast and take that off your shoulders. But you got a bit of a taste of what it's like to be me most Thursdays. Well, I'm glad you're back and we're together again. Oh, by the way, I'm on holiday next week. Yeah, this is a short-lived reunion, it must yeah. be said. We'll take some annual leave next time. But, well, before we get to next week, should we talk about this week? Yeah. Go on then. Okay, you sound so keen. What no, do you want good. to start with? Because there's a few different things going on. I tell you what, since you're back, you choose. Oh, okay, right. That's that's no pressure whatsoever. I'm not going to crumble under it. I'm kind of torn because there's stuff to talk about with Ross County, there's stuff to talk about with Callie Thistle, both quite notable, I think, since the last time I was here. Um, so we start with Callie Thistle and, and start with a bit of a positive for this episode. Because I go on then. They're still going at the top of the table. They managed to extend their lead at the top of the championship, but it is going to be a tough one for them this weekend against Wraith. It's battle of the top two in the second tier. Yep. Uh, great response from Cali Thistle last weekend. 
after losing their first game of the season at Hamilton Academical. You know, it, it was a huff and puff performance, but at the same time, once uh, they took the lead, they never really looked like losing it. Um, Morton had a great first quarter of the game, but um, once Billy Mackay scored, you always felt Inverness looked comfortable. Um, but at the same time, never really got out of second, third gear. That's maybe been a characteristic of Inverness this season. They've just done it enough what they needed to do. And, you know, not criticising them for it. It's working. Seven wins out of nine. Uh, a lot of 1-0 wins defensively, apart from the game against Hamilton Academical, been very good this season. Uh, defensively very good as well. Uh, last weekend, you know, Kirk Broadfoot and uh, Danny Devine did a great job. Robbie Dees as well. Scott Arlardyce was shifted to right back. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, which surprised me because Wallace Duffy was on the bench. Yeah. Um, D- David Carson, due to personal reasons, was unavailable. Condolences to him uh, from everyone at the Balls and Whistles. You know, the club put out a statement explaining the reasons uh, why he wasn't there. So, um, really sorry to hear the news. But um, Scott Allardyce was shifted to right back and looked a bit uncomfortable maybe being in defence. You know, I don't know, maybe... Billy Dodds thought David Carson himself was shifted from midfield to right back and was such a revelation. Maybe he thought he could have done a certain job, but kind of struggled in that position a wee bit. But it did surprise me Wallace Duffy wasn't put into right back. And that just brings into question, if, you know, what's his future at the club? Um, does he have a place in the team? Because he, what he did start against Hamilton Academical, as well as Cameron Harper, who was at left back at Hamilton, and they got defensively, they were really poor for 20 minutes, and it showed when they were 2-0 down. So I just, I mean, Duff, Wallace Duffy in particular, I just wonder what his future is going to be at the club now, because that's his position, and yet our midfielder was switched to right back. So that was the one thing I really took out of it, you know, why he wasn't put in that position. Um, but on the whole, it was a comfortable win for Cali Fissel. Morton kind of just fizzled out after the Inverness went 1-0 down. And now they're five points clear. Even though Cali Fizzle are in second or third gear, they're winning games. Kilmarnock are dropping points, which, you know, I, I, I thought they'd be up there as well. Rafe Rovers are coming good. Park Fizzle were outstanding against Hamilton Academical. Even though Hamilton were absolutely mince. I don't know if you saw that game. Did you see it? The six, I didn't, six? no. I saw the scores. I, I can agree with you based purely on that. I didn't actually see the game. Yeah, they're not a good team. And that's what maybe what made the defeat to Hamilton so disappointing for Inverness. They lost to such a poor team. But it's it's a great start. 22 points out of 27. I spoke to Mane Duku earlier this week. He thinks if they can at least earn 18 points a quarter, they'll win the title. And they're looking at previous league tables. You know, the, the maths um, work out. So... Great first quarter for uh, Cali Fissel and Billy Dodd. And, of course, they've already got so many more than 18 points in this quarter. It sets them on, on a great standing for the rest of the campaign. Maybe gives them a bit of leeway, but it's obviously way too early to think about them being able to drop points. I think we talked before on the podcast about how important a fast start is in the championship. You know, Each of the last few winners of the league have come out of the blocks absolutely firing, all guns blazing. And they've maybe tailed off a wee bit towards the end of the season, but that's when they've already essentially had the title on the back. 
Mm-hmm. Cali Thistle look like they're well on the way to doing that. And having not seen the games the last few weeks, I, I can't really disagree with anything you're saying, just based on looking at it from the outside. Hamilton was a disappointing one. I did suspect when they went down to 10 men, it might make them a bit more solid defensively, having that lead already. We've mm-hmm. seen how frail they are at the back at times this season, but in that sort of situation, I expect them to just put everybody behind the ball and... I'm guessing that's what they did because they managed to hold on for the win when you wouldn't really have expected them to. Wallace Duffy, yeah, absolutely agree with you. It's not a good message to him. I actually said the same thing when Dave Carson was moved back to right back last season. Of course, he then played so well, he was keeping his spot on merit, but it wasn't a good message to be sending to Wallace Duffy. I think he did have one or two injury issues at the very start of the season. Um, This year, I mean, it's the very start of this season which kind of took him out of contention then, but he's been back for a little while, like he played against Hamlet, so fitness shouldn't be an issue. If he's getting overlooked now when his only competition at right back isn't available, that says a lot, I think. That really does say a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. As for Wraith, I haven't seen too much of Wraith this season, but I am going to be going to the match on Saturday. So uh, this is going to be an interesting one because Wraith, based on last year, really like to go forward, and that can potentially suit Cali Thistle. Yep, it could um, open up the space, uh, particularly for the likes of Michael Gardine, who have to say, what a start to the season he's had. Arguably their best player. Yeah, it's tough to argue with it because he was at the Hamilton game he missed as well. And you, you could see how no, much no, he, he No, he played at Hamilton. So the he scored in the okay. Yeah. No, against Morton, he was the engine, really. Mm. Um, but, you know, he's done that for a number of games. He's the one guy... Sorry, that's unfair to Carly Fissel, not the one guy. But, you know, how old is he? 36? I mean, not not past it. Not by Well, he's proven he's not past it. He's been yeah. a revelation. He still looks like a premiership player to me. Um, and I think uh, he, he's showing that with his performances in many games this season. I think if he had his way, he'd probably still be at Ross County. You know, it's no secret he loved that club. Um, and was disappointed to, to leave. But he's shown that he's still a class act and uh, not just creating chances and driving the ball forward, he's finding the net as well. That's all credit to Billy Dodds for bringing an experienced player in. And McCallum compared and contrasted Billy Dodds' signings with what John Robertson used to sign. Mm-hmm. John Robertson, fantastic guy for a player, but he was very much the sort of guy that would maybe look for a, a young player who didn't make it elsewhere and had a point to prove and maybe a long-term option. You know, I'm speaking about the likes of Jamie McCart and Sean Rooney who had a point to prove before uh, they came to Cali Fissle and became two of their best players and were sought after by St. Johnston and they've gone on to become regulars and win the cup double. Do you think John Robertson would have signed the likes of Michael Gardine, Billy McKay, Kurt Broadfoot? I, I read your column. And the thought that went through my head is that we know he wanted to sign Billy McKay in January. Ross Kenny confirmed that to us. Billy McKay confirmed that to us. There was interest. I think Mm. he would have made one of those signings. I'm not sure he would have brought in all three. Mm. I think that's the difference that you're talking about. John Robertson would have been quite happy to add an experience and drop it in here or there. But he did want to generally sign younger players who would improve, who would get better at Cali Thistle, and they would also get the good out of. He wouldn't, I think, and I could be wrong, John could completely disagree with us saying this, but I don't think he would have brought in three or four experienced players at the same time 
like a Kirk Broadfoot and Michael Gardine and Billy McKay. And that's what's changed things around, you rightly say, for this season, because they've got that extra bit of noose. You know, they're more streetwise. They're holding on to results where the last few years, they've never really been able to hold on to one nils as consistently as they have this year. And it bodes so well for them because now, well, how many times over the last few years have we said they're playing really well, they're creating loads of chances, but they're not taking them and they're conceding goals. Now they're not doing that and they're not necessarily playing their best every week, but they're winning almost ugly. It's not, they're not even playing that badly, but they're, they're scrapping for results where they weren't always doing that before. I think that's going to be the difference when it comes to getting them up and out of this league. Yeah. I mean, they're not playing badly at all. Um, but yeah, you're right. Ugly is probably a, a good uh, word to use um, in terms of how they're seeing games out. Billy Dodds said himself, yeah, the performance wasn't perfect, but he was more pleased than with any other game Gally Thistle had played because mm-hmm. they grinded the result out. Yeah, And one guy, that Kurt Broadfoot, I think he deserves more credit than he's getting. I think people have been impressed by him, but I think he's really solidified the, the, the back four. Um, I think his experience has proved vital. I think he's had a great relationship with Danny Devine at centre-back. And I think he's maybe influencing the full-back positions as well, uh, Robbie Dees and Dave, Dave Carson. Um, so a lot of credit to him. Billy McKay uh, scored his first league goal on Saturday. He scored five. I think it's five in the Trust Trophy, but that was the one that really meant to him because, you know, it's the league. It's the one that they want to win. So, And he's looking to get ahead of Manny Duku and be the regular first team, team striker. Yeah, I mean, then going back to my previous point about John Robertson, before he stepped down, he, te- he tended to give youth more of a chance. You see it with Cami Harper. He was the first choice left back. But then when Robertson um, stepped away and Neil McCann came in, all of a sudden Robbie Dees became the left back. And then Billy Dodds carried that on. And we're, we're seeing it with Wallace Duffy as well now, that uh, even before he was on, available, he was on the bench. And they decided to bring a central midfielder into that position. So... Two very different styles, Dodds and Robertson. But all credit to Dodds. It's it's working out so far. And I didn't expect it to do as well as they have, especially after the League Cup. If you saw them against Sterling Albion uh, or Cove Rangers, kind of feared for this season a wee bit. But top of the league, five points ahead. Take your hearts off to the man. You mentioned something there I wanted to quickly ask you about before we moved on. You have seen Cali Thistle over the last few weeks. So you've got a better idea of this than I do. Billy Mackay coming in and replacing Manny Duku by the looks of it as the starting striker from here on out. It's a very different style of player to Duku. Do you think it's the right call? And, and how has it changed how Cali Thistle play over the last few weeks? Well, Billy Mackay scored, so... Uh, it's easy enough to say it's the right call when he's scoring goals, isn't it? If, if you, well, that, that's a striker's job. You've got to find the net. And he did find the net. Manny Duku, like you said, a very different player. Um, you know, a faster player as well, but he has struggled to find the net a wee bit. So I can understand why Billy Mackay came in for Manny Duku last weekend. But we've always seen Billy Mackay. He, he, he's got a poacher's instinct. And I mean that as a compliment, by the way. If, if he gets on a chance, there's a very good chance he'll score it, especially from close range. Although I'm, I'm doing him an injustice because it was his goal was a route one punt from Mark Ridgers took a deflection off a defender's head and he was right on it, grabbed the ball, charged into the box and it was a sweet finish. I don't think Califis have changed that much of their style of play, but 
I would say Dooku probably uses his pace more than Mackay, but Mackay has more of the poacher's instinct that maybe you need to win games ugly. So I think he'll probably start against Rafe Rovers on Saturday. The main thing is you've got to choose a striker at scoring goals. To be fair to Mackay, he's found a net against Elgin City, scored a hat-trick, and then he scored against Morton. Dooku was struggling to find goals, so it's the right choice at the moment. Yeah, I realised that might have sounded like I was questioning Dodds' decision. That's not what I was doing at all. I just found it interesting that he has made... Oh. It's, it's quite a big call to make to change your striker. Yeah, but uh, I understand why he did it, because you've got to score goals. If you're not scoring goals, you've got to look at other options. Um, and thankfully, it worked out last weekend for them. Absolutely. Well, well, I think the last time we were both on the podcast and we were able to have some of these discussions, we were talking about Ross County in front of goal, and they've really struggled, or at least their strikers have really struggled to find the net. Blair Spittle is their top scorer. Uh, he scored again last weekend, as did Alex Yakoviti. I was looking at the stats earlier this week. Yakoviti is their second top scorer in all competitions with three yeah. goals. That took me a bit by surprise. I think that highlights some of the issues that Ross County have had so far this season. It feels, looking at social media, which isn't always the best gauge, admittedly, listening to some of the fans' perspective, like there's a bit of pressure on Marky Mackay right now. You wouldn't know that by looking at the club. Again, looking back at some stats and, and some runs, last season, Stuart Kettlewell was sacked after 10 league games without a win. Marky Mackay right now is on nine. How much pressure do you think there actually is on him? You look at St Mirren uh, last weekend and you would have said, you know, Ross County must be looking at that match and thinking, you know, this is a chance for us to pick up three points. Or at worst, at least one. So to come away with nothing would be a bit of a disaster. I said at the start of the season, because of the fixtures Ross County had, you know, against teams that finished in the top six, Rangers, Celtic, Aberdeen, Hibernian, uh, St Johnston, even Hearts, I suppose you could say now, because they've been doing so well. They were kind of free hits. But the games coming up with, say, well, starting with St Mirren last week and then Livingston and then Dundee, this is where you would expect Ross County to start uh, recording some victories. But, um, I, you know, I wasn't at the game, but I saw the highlights. And, uh, oh, some of the goals they conceded were just an absolute catastrophe. Uh, I take it you saw the highlights yourself too. It's it, this isn't a new story. That's the frustrating thing for me with Ross County. I was at the Dundee United game at the start of the month and they were giving the ball away for fun in the first half. And when I say they were giving the ball away, their defenders were playing in Dundee United strikers constantly in the first half. And that's how United got their goal. You know, there's three or four different times where a header went straight to United player or uh, there's a miscued pass or something like that. And it was exactly the same last weekend. You know, th these are unforgivable, but at the same time, there's so many Ross County players making these mistakes. You can't change the entire defence. You can't change everybody in the team. They have to sort of have some sort of faith in these guys. And I just really hope they can get a win soon because the longer this goes on for, the worse and worse it's looking for them. So, sorry, I, I never really answered your question if the pressure was on Malcolm McKay. You know, it's fine, I probably didn't answer yours either. Comparing it last season, you know, Stuart Kettlewell was already two and a half seasons into the job. Mm. So, you know, 
he had like a kind of a record to defend of you know keeping Ross County up previously and then winning the championship. Um, but you know yourself, last the first half of last season, you know it, it Ross County were a really hard watch. Um, they, they you know every time they played, they just didn't look like winning. Um, and when they got beat, you know they were well beat on the park, regardless of the margin of the scoreline. Um, you could never really argue that uh, Ross County didn't deserve to lose, could you? I don't see that with this team. I think this team is at least competitive. They should be capable of getting points. They are going, going sorry, good going forward. And maybe Malky Mackay, because it's his first season in the job, maybe he's getting a bit of leeway um, with how the season has started and he'll get a bit more time. But... Um, St Mirren should have been a game where they got at least a point. I mean, don't, don't be wrong, St Mirren deserved to win it. First half, they were for great. And probably with a better team in the second half too. But it's Livingston tomorrow. A defeat to them, and I think the pressure will ramp up on Malky a wee bit. But like I said, you look at them on the pitch, they're competitive. It's not like last season where you think, oh, yeah, they're going to lose and lose well. You can see them getting a point, but it's just not coming together as of yet, is it? No, it's not at all. And anytime they do seem to be building a little bit of momentum and playing some good stuff, a mistake at the back totally goes and undoes all of that hard work. I, I want to play a bit of Malky McKay's press conference earlier this week that hopefully will address some of the questions that I'm sure a lot of supporters have and that myself and, and Will would have watching the matches, reporting on them. This is a bit longer than our usual sort of clips, so I'm just fair warn of that. Bear with us for <laughs> a few minutes. Um, and again, I appreciate the questions are maybe a little bit quieter. Just for anybody wondering in any reference, start off talking about the defensive mistakes that County have made in the last few matches. And we also talk a little bit about a potential change of formation and whether the start of the campaign has affected their targets for the season as a whole. Here is what Malky had to say. You have to get it out on the table. Yeah, you know, there's no point in, in hiding from that. Uh, my my belief has always been that, um, that, and I think anybody will tell you in football, there is no magic wand. There is hard work, and that comes in a variety of factors. It comes in the work out there. It comes in the, the culture in which I drive in there in terms of making sure they all live to a certain standard. But in terms of the, the those individual errors, what you do is you, you, you show them. Um, and it's no easy viewing, obviously, because I've been there when it's myself and it's the manager's about to flick something on and you're thinking, this is me, this next one's me, and you want to disappear behind your chair. Um, but what, it, what it's for is to purely educate. It's nothing different from, I know you guys that have, have learned your trade and been to uni and, and you know done your years in, in, in journalism. It's the exact same. You're learning your trade. You put it up on the board. You watch it. You see where we should have done, what, what I should have done. And and you don't give them that answer. You ask them so because you want to know if, they, if they're actually getting it or not. And invariably they say, I, I've left that and I, I thought I was there and I shouldn't have and I, I should have just gone and headed the ball there. Or I've just turned my body and I lost them for a split second and I've concentrated on the ball then rather than looking at the man. Um, but what it does is it puts a little picture in their head when you go back to learning how, you, how do people learn audiovisual kinesthetic the, the audio the, sorry the visual thing is striking as to how many people once you see it 
that's when that's then it sticks in there as a little picture for the next time. That's certainly how I, um, you know, over a period of years, how many people are actually that's that's where they they, they kind of get their learnings from when you actually watch it. So that next time they go and the wee alarm bells ringing in there and it's like no 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 I need to I just need to head this here or he's running there I need to be touch tight I need to get a hold of him I need to know where he is because there's a you know I've done this before and I've got it wrong so it's always for me it's the best way to do it we go through a teaching teaching of it in there um, and you hope that, that over a period somebody somebody learns it's like anything if somebody keeps making the same mistake all this time then they've got to come out and you really can assess where things are but you know we've had three or four crazy deflections we've had and we've had three or four kind of very very individualistic mistakes you know and if we really cut those out you then get to the point where somebody has to work hard to score a goal against you and I'm okay with that but uh, you know we cut that out we make it hard for teams to score against us. We're going to be improving, be better. You have changed things over the last few weeks. Now you've had different lineups, different guys coming in mm-hmm. and out of the team. You talk about believing in the process. Mm-hmm. Has any thought been given to change formation or that sort of thing to make life a bit more difficult for others? Well, we've, we've, I mean, we started the season with three at the back, if you remember, and then we've gone to the four. Um, we've played two up top. Um, we've played one in behind. Played uh, the, the two in midfield. We've played the four across. There's, you know, systems. If you like, systems and styles. Okay, so um, different systems are five yards apart on the pitch. What what counts is for me is how the style. How do you how does your team play? And you look at look at any team. Look at the top teams. They play they play different systems, but they play the same style, and that's what I've talk to the lads about because we should have players and we have got players here that can be fluid that can move five yards that way five yards that way go and play three to four is a, is a different thing three at the back to four at the back is a different thing but but the rest of it is five yards apart it really is um, as to what a five in midfield is looks like to what a three in midfield is it's, it's five yards um, and what a four four two to, to a four three three in terms of one up one off there, there's not much difference in that um, but it's about how the team play and how I want them to play in terms of their energy, uh, in terms of their, their athleticism, in terms of their bravery on the ball, in terms of being able to get it to certain areas of the pitch quickly that we think could hurt an opposition, um, and being able to be tactically disciplined to be back, back in behind the ball when the transition goes back to the opposition. So that's the bigger thing for me, the style. How do we play? Do we play to a plan? Um, and I'd like to think that it's something that we're, we're trying to work on together in terms of knowing what the what strengths the opposition have and what strengths we could have against them. That's what I've been really pleased about them, that they've actually thrown themselves into the way I want us to play. Um, and, and I suppose with the amount of chances that we're creating and the amount of um, shots and crosses that we're having, um, that's shown that in a, in a certain circumstance. As I say, if we were losing fours and fives every week, then you're saying, well, you're, you're looking at that and you're not looking at how the team are hard to beat. But it has been three or four deflections and four or five individual howlers. So 
um, I'm always I was a defender, so I'm always conscious of making sure that the back door's closed as well and having a, a spine to the team. So knowing that they have to work hard, so the, the white guys have always got to work to get back. They better work to get back, otherwise we don't we don't carry uh, luxury players. We can't, but we still have to have people who can open up the opposition. So, for example, again at the weekend, you know, Cookie and Humble are on fire at times, and um, if nothing else, I'm hoping that our fans are actually seeing. That, that when we attack we look like as if they're getting, we're going to get bums off seats correct me if I'm wrong Marky, but no, no. from memory when you first came in to the club because you were talking about taking Kenny to the next level building stuff behind the scenes but also getting up the league table yeah, of course. but the way the, the results have gone so far you're obviously staying really positive mm-hmm. has that aim changed a bit is it now more of a case of just staying up this season or do you still want to be pushing for that few spots higher no we've I, we've I would always want to to um, push to make sure we are as high as possible we can be in the league. I don't think, um, you know, us sitting here saying, right, let's just, at the start of the season and even now, let's just try and survive. Um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's not in my makeup and it's not certainly what the boys want to do. They're, they're, not, they're not looking like a team that are like bereft of confidence and actually just desperate to, to cling on to anything that's not the way that I don't think in terms of what you've seen on a Saturday you're not seeing that um, but uh, it's like again we've got to, we've got to uh, keep making sure that we do have that initial make sure we actually manage to survive it's a tough it was always going to be a tough ask it certainly is but um, no I've got, there's got to be there's certainly a positiveness inside myself in terms of my group is concerned I'm not I'm not um, you know, I'm not daft. I do get we're sitting at the bottom of the league, so obviously we've got to do something better than we're doing at the moment, without question. But there's there's um, an awful lot of games left to go. That was obviously a good bit longer than the usual interview clips that we share on Balls and Whistles, but I thought there was a lot of quite interesting stuff in there. Some stuff, well, that you were just talking about as well. I suppose for me, the question right now is, if you're a Ross County fan. Knowing how the season has started, do you take survival and not much else? Because I suspect a lot of them would right now. At the moment, yeah. I think survival is the priority number one. I think they take a 10th place finish, uh, no bother, bite their hands off for it because they're not winning games. Like I said, not playing badly, but not winning. So at the moment, it does look like a fight for survival, probably with Livingston and Dundee. But um, there are players that have done well this season. Uh, Blair Spittle, probably their best player. Reagan Charles Cook, massively improved in the last campaign. I thought he played a bit more of a forward role than he did midfield um, against uh, St. Lennon last weekend. Joe Hungbo, who was mentioned in the interview as well, really impressed me too, actually. I think he could be a, a bit of a fine for Ross County if he starts more. I, I would certainly start him in midfield. Um, Just on that note, how do you fit them all in? Though? Because unless you're exactly. going to play one of them as your centre forward, that's mm. too attacking in midfield, isn't it? Probably. So what do we do? Keep Reagan Charles Cook up front more? Maybe a, a 4-3-3? This is um, the issue that Malky Mackay has right now. They're, they're still conceding so many goals, but their best players have been attacking players. So how do you balance that? How do you fit everybody in and get them all playing well? 
Well, that's the thing. It looked like Blair Spittle was more of a forward against St. Mirren as well. It looked like a 4-3-3 to me, or at least a 4-5-1. But there's this big and Charles Cook and Spittle were certainly playing up more. Uh, much more up front. I don't know how you read it. That's how I read it anyway. Um, it certainly looked like Spittle and Charles Cook were joining Samuel up front in a an attacking three formation. So, but Joseph Hungbo really impressed me. I would get him on the wing uh, for tomorrow. So, what does that mean? Someone like uh, uh, Harry Payton, Ross Callaghan, David Cancola, they've got to go on the bench. I don't know. I thought Ross Callaghan and Harry Payton would make more of an impact this season. Mm. I've been a slight, I don't know how you've read it, but I've slightly been underwhelmed by them a wee bit. Um, so, I, I would certainly give Hungbo a chance because. Against St Mirren, he looked lively. He was creating chances. He was causing panic in the defence. And I think he could do a similar job against Livingston. But is Livingston going to be the same sort of mentality that uh, Ross Kent will look at and think, yeah, we can score a few goals like we did against St Mirren? And if that is the case, will it be like another 4-3-3 formation? I could have read it a lot wrong. But for me, Blair Spittle, Charles Cook, you know, midfielders, it certainly looked like they were more up front against St Mirren, and it was a 4-3-3 formation. I don't know how you read it, but that's how I read it. It's difficult to know with highlights what the formation was, because people can pop up all over the pitch for a couple of minutes, and that's when a highlight happens, and it looks like in a, a totally different position. I, I've been thinking about this quite a bit the last few days. What formation would I play Ross County right now? Who would I have in the team? I think I'd be tempted to go three at the back to be honest, and use at least one of Hungbo and Charles Cook as a wingback. The other option I think you might have is to play, again, with three at the back, someone like Hungbo and White up front. And I know Hungbo's generally been a winger so far. He's generally had more um, impact out there when he has a bit more space to run into. But I quite like the idea of him and White as a partnership because White will give you that target man, that hold-up play, and Hungbo will give you the pace to really make the most of the defenders getting drawn towards White and give you maybe a bit more running and a defensive mindset as well. I think the short answer is I don't really know what Ross County's best team is right now, going forward or at the back. And I'm not sure anybody really does. And that, again, to come back to the bigger point I was making before, sums up some of their problems. And I'm not sure Malky Mackay knows what their best team is. No, not yet. Um, you've seen it with the selections that he's made in different games and all that. Um, you know, Jordan White, he was on the bench. He did come on for Samuel, maybe try to make more of the, the success they've had at like sort of set pieces as underlined by Alex Echeveti. Mm. I don't know. If, if they're going for like a, a more of an attack-minded, flamboyant, sort of like, say, two strikers up front, would Jordan White fit into that mould? Under in, in Malky Mackay's mind, or is Jordan White the kind of guy where he'll be used for like a four-five-one formation, maybe against a, more attacking teams, um, in you know, wh- where they think the chances are of them getting goals are more from like set pieces, and he can use his aerial presence, much like Alex Ituvetti has, um, who, or maybe that's just the case. Win a free kick at the edge of the box, make sure Alex Ituvetti's at the end of it. Goal, man's a goal machine. Well, I think we've seen more of White as a lone striker over the last few years. But I think, and again, people might disagree with me in this. I'm quite happy for other opinions to come in. For me, I think White was at his most effective when he was partnered with Billy McKay in the second half of last season. 
Yep, they had a great partnership. And I still I, I still don't really know why we didn't see more of White and Shaw, because I think you'd have had a similarly fruitful partnership there. So I think the best we've seen of White is when he has somebody quicker alongside him as a strike duo. I think the perception of him is very much that he can play as a lone striker, because that's obviously what John Hughes did at times and what Malachi Mackay's done and what we saw at Cali Thistle beforehand. But actually, I think you get the best out of him if you can get somebody else up there around him more often than not. Is Dom Samuel that guy for? Well, I haven't seen much of Dom Samuel. You know, I, I think he had a knock at one point. So he missed a couple of games. But other than a preseason friendly against Elgin when he came off the bench having just signed and coming off the bench against Dundee United, I'm not sure I've actually seen Dom Samuel on the pitch. So it's difficult for me to really judge him. Oh, well, one thing that uh, is certain, if, if Ross County don't get a win against Livingston tomorrow, people are going to start judging the team and uh, Malky Mackay as well and thinking, you know, it, it, it's going to be a relegation battle. Um, but it's early days. It's early days. They've got out of it before and I'm not ruling them out getting out of it again because, you know, they turned it around last season. The season before that, they avoided relegation. So only the first quarter of the campaign. Absolutely. I, I was a bit hesitant to get into too much talk about Malky Mackay's future because he might go and win his next two or three games and it's a totally different situation. We'll yeah. see what happens over the next few weeks and maybe we'll have to have a conversation about his future at some point. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. But I think we've talked about Cali Thistle and Ross County for way too long. Well, we're going to have to move on to some other stuff. Nairn County have also not had the best of starts to the season from what I've seen, they played a little bit better the last couple of weeks, but from what I've seen is basically just the results. But it's going to be a big test for them against Banksy D in the Scottish Cup this weekend. Previously on this podcast, you said Banksy D would be a top five Highland League side. This is their chance. I know they've done it in the Aberdeenshire Cup as well, but this is another chance for them to go and show that and prove that they actually can compete with the very top of the Highland League, isn't it? I mean, I've actually changed my mind about Banksy D. I said they'd be a top five side if they were in the Highland League. I think they could probably go and possibly win it if they were a team in the Highland League just now. Uh, just seeing the results in the Aberdeenshire Cup, you know, putting six past Keith in the first round, beating in Veruri Locos, going to Fraserburgh and beating them in the semi-final. Mm. No team in the Highland League has beaten Fraserburgh home or away. And then hammering Fort Martin United 4-1 in the final. They did edge a 1-0 win against Tirup United in the first round of the Scottish Cup, but this is a quality team. Nairn County, oh... <laughs> Sorry, boys. Um, I think uh, that sums it up, doesn't it? I think that they're in for a hard afternoon. That they're taking on a quality side. First, uh, they got a great win against Trusby Thistle, two-one. Apparently, the performance wasn't great, according to Ronnie Sharp or Dylan McKenzie, who I spoke to both uh, earlier this week. But at least they're getting results now, uh, which they weren't for a while. You know, they went to Huntley and won three-one, which was a great result, and now winning at Strasby, but. Banks of D, they're a level up from uh, those teams at the moment. But speaking to Dylan McKenzie, it's the Scottish Cup. It's a one-off. The incentive of uh, playing a team at a higher level uh, really appeals to him and a lot of players at Nairn County. And that's what might drive them to hopefully go and get a positive result. But Banks of D, I think they've won every game they've played in every competition this season. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but I know that's the fact in the Super League, the Aberdeenshire Cup, they're still in the Scottish Junior Cup, 
and I think they're still in the Junior League Cup as well. I think they've won every game. They're a formidable outfit. Um, you know, I wish they'd count you all the best, but it's going to be a tough afternoon. It's a strange one. Just it's, it's almost a quirk of the Scottish football pyramid that we're talking about Nairn County being underdogs against a team in the tier below them. But that's exactly what we're talking about right now. And I suppose the one silver lining for Nairn is that they have gotten through in the cup before against other teams. They have gotten to the stage where they're playing SPFL teams, playing League Two, League One teams. They know what that's like. They know what it takes to get there. Like you say, it's going to be a tough ask. You can't really get away from that. But you have to have some sort of optimism, I suppose, in Aaron County. It's not sometimes easier said than done. But, you know, they've done it before. They have to think they can do it again. Well, they did it last season. Uh, you know, they, they won a couple of games. And then, unfortunately, they got hammered by Montrose. It happens. You know, it was awful saying that, you know, last season, they didn't play that many games due to the pandemic. Um, but, yeah. It's the Scottish Cup, and Highland League teams love the Scottish Cup. We all love the Scottish Cup. You know, it's not like uh, down in England where a lot of the top teams don't care about the FA Cup. All the Scottish clubs love playing in the Scottish Cup, even Rangers and Celtic, because for them, the treble is everything. Winning more trophies than they do, that's everything to them. So, And for the teams outside Rangers and Celtic, it's one of their best chances of winning the silverware, along with the League Cup. It's a magic competition. I've seen what it does to, to communities, how it gets them all excited. That, that's what's driving their county on. Uh, speaking to Dylan McKenzie and Ronnie Sharp, you know, the, the opportunity to maybe be drawn against a big team, whether it's they come to Nairn to play at Station Park or they go and play at a big stadium. It's a one-off occasion, something to remember for the rest of their lives, and they want to go and do it. So I wish Nairn County all the best. I'm not going to sit in the fence. I think Banks of D will win tomorrow because they are a superb team. But I think Nairn County will keep it respectable. I'll give you a scoreline. 2-0 Banks of D. There you go. So we can all blame you if it actually ends up worse than that. <laughs> blame me. Well, you're not going to be here next but, week to defend yourself. We'll just blame you for anything that goes wrong. No, I'll be hiding in my bunker for Ronnie Sherman. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also cup action for Loch Ness. The North Cali outfit are in Football Times Cup action. Semi-final for them, isn't it? This is a really big deal considering it's only their second year in the division. Uh, Shane Carlin, the manager, he said it's the biggest game in the history of the club, even though they've only been a North Caledonian League team for two years. They've been around for decades in, in the amateur ranks. Yeah, that's the thing. They've been playing in the amateur leagues for a long time. I think it's 20 years. Uh, Shane actually founded the club. But one of their main aims this season was to reach a cup final. <laughs> They're one game away from it. They've got home advantage in Fortrose. Because for, for those who don't remember, they've relocated from Inverness to Fortrose. Uh, not the first club from Inverness to do that. But, you know, it'd mean the world for them to play in a cup final, you know, and just to get some silverware in the cabinet. Uh, they're a very well-run team. They didn't have a great debut season last year, despite getting off their flyer. But Shane Carlin said there has been a change in mentality with new players coming in and going out. So it'd be great for Loch Ness to get to the final. But they're playing against a good Ferso team as well who won't make it easy for them. 
Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm rattling through some of these quite quickly now, but it is because we talked about Cali Thistle and Ross Kiefer so much. Best of luck to Loch Ness. Fingers crossed we're talking about them being in a cup final next week. But it's already a cup final this weekend, Will, for Kinloch Shield. If we move over to Shinty for a little bit. They obviously won the Kamenast Cup earlier in the year. They got the McTavish Cup final. This is the one trophy they haven't won in their history. So even though the Kamenast Cup is the big one, no lack of motivation for them at Shield this weekend. No, playing Kingnissi in the final, who have won the trophy 27 times, Kingnissi, but haven't won it for a decade. So um, this is a competition which is going to mean a lot on Saturday at Buck Park in Inverness. Kinloch Shield, um, if they win this trophy, they complete the set of all four major trophies, uh, the Macaulay Cup, the Premiership and the Kavanagh Cup, for those who aren't uh, shouldn't be knowledgeable. Uh, it meant, you know, the Kavanagh Cup was probably the big one this year because it's probably the most prestigious prize in the sport. Whether it's the most important sport, uh, prize now in terms of the Premiership, that's a debate which rages on in the Shinty world. Depends on who wins but, um, what they say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but exactly, that's a very good point. Uh, and I've argued that in the past. But uh, the McTavish Cup, it's one of the, the senior trophies the big teams play for. And it would complete the set. And, uh, you know, it's great for Kinloch Shield, who have only, only really become a force in Shinty in recent years. Um, won the Macaulay Cup for the first time in 2016. And then won the Premiership in 2017. Won the Macaulay Cup again in 2018. And then they've won the Cabinet Cup this year. And uh, it would be a big deal for them to complete the set. But King Nusi, their name is synonymous with Shinty. So they're not going to make it easy for them. They're, they could also win a cup double this season as well because they won the Macaulay Cup and being knocked out of the Kavanaugh Cup semi-final against Lovett really hurt them. So it'll be a tasty final. <laughs> I've got the weekend off. I might go and watch it. There you go. Buck Park's only 20 minutes away from me. There you go. I wouldn't. That's quite practical then. You might as well wander along. Uh, seeing that, I'm on holiday, but... I actually got offered hospitality and I never took them up on it, unfortunately. So I'll have to stand behind. What are you doing, Will? You've been at hospitality. Was it the Kamenach Cup semi-final before? Yeah, the Kamenach Cup semi-final. No, no. Am I mixing one? it up? I know you've been hospitality at one big shinty match. No, it was the McTavish Cup McTavish in 2019. Cup. Yeah, when um, Newton Moore beat uh, Kinloch Shield. God, my memory's bad today. <laughs> Get there in the end. It's fine. Yeah. Best luck to Kinloch Shield, obviously. It would be great for them to win another trophy. Tell you what, though, we can talk about somebody who already have won a trophy. Highland Stags have won the Scottish League in American football. I'm not sure we've talked about American football too much on this podcast before, but it's a phenomenal achievement for them. They're still technically an associate member of the, the British American football leagues, and yet they're the best team in Scotland. I'm not sure they would have been expecting that, certainly talking to uh, Billy Mill earlier this week, their defensive coordinator, they were aiming to compete. They were aiming to show that they could hang with some of the other Scottish teams to get full acceptance into the British League for next year. They went better than that. They went and won it, and it was well-deserved. They only lost one game all season. They drew another one. They won the rest, and they did it in some style, beating Dumfries 46-6 in the last day of the campaign. Huge congratulations to them. Well, I know you've talked to Billy a couple of times throughout the year, Great to see a senior American football team thrive in the area because right now they're the only ones. You know, it shouldn't be um, underplayed how popular American football is in the area. 
We've got the Highland Wildcats, but they're they're more of a youth set up, mm. but do a great job promoting the sport in the city and uh, the region. And now we've got the Highland Stags who are playing at senior level. And when I spoke to Billy, uh, they were planning to take a team of 35 players down to Dumfries. Um, I'll be honest, my, my knowledge of American football isn't fantastic, but 35 players seems a decent amount of uh, players to me. And, and they had more than that to pick from as well, didn't they? They had more than that coming down to practices. Yeah, they've got a bigger roster as well. Um, I think it's 45, 50, something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was certainly more a bigger roster. But just goes to show what a big sport American football is in the area. And, uh, you know, the Highland Wildcats have done a great job at youth level and the Highland Stags, where a lot of Wildcats players have been promoted to play at senior level. The Highland Stags are now reaping the benefits because they're now uh, Saltire Division champions. Scottish champions as well. I think there was only one Scottish league, is that right? Yes, as, as far as I know, there's only the one Scottish league. There's only, I think, well, five I or six to... Scottish teams in, so there's no point splitting them up. Exactly. That makes them Scottish champions. Um, but it's a fantastic success story for the area. And uh, if they're not proper members of the league, they better be next season. Oh, surely. Surely they will be yeah. now. They can't deny them now that they've won the Saltire Division. Well... Let's hope they don't. <laughs> Seriously, hope not. Or we'll be writing a very angry article <laughs> in the Inverness Courier and Russia Journal. There you go. Because, of course, are we saying they're a Russia team or an Inverness team? Because they play it in Brigordon, but they train at the, um, the Nature Reserve at Keswick. I would say it's in the name. They're a Highland team. Uh, they're a team for the Highlands. <laughs> Whether you're from Inverness, Dingwall, Tharso, Durness, Poor three. <laughs> you just gonna, after this go next on. five minutes of the podcast, it's going to be you naming places in the islands. <laughs> <laughs> Geography with Will. That's the spin-off. We're already establishing the spin-off podcast from this one. Great. Oh, I, I, I don't even suggest that because I'll get a phone call saying, well, that's a great idea. Geography with Will, but you're editing that one. You're producing that one. Okay. <laughs> I've already got plenty on my plate with Will, so I'm not volunteering to take over him anymore. <laughs> Oh, no, this show is descending. Well, save us. What else has there been this week? A seven-year-old golfer from uh, Lentron near Kirkhill. Geography with Will. There we go. I, I, once you start, you can't stop. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you. Seven-year-old golfer. Yeah, no, this is a big story. Um, a seven-year-old Kirkhill primary school pupil won the British Junior Golf Tour. His name is Brody McIver, and he did it in emphatic style. Um, because during the season there are 22 competitions and he won 19 of them you know at 7 years old in his age group you know, he was absolutely dominant yeah that's good going uh, isn't it yeah and I, I had the chance to meet him uh, in person when I went to Nairn Golf Club where he's a member great wee guy just full of enthusiasm delighted with his achievements as was his parents Don and Gemma who to be fair to Brody he paid full credit to them for all the support they've given him over the season. And now uh, he's hope well. He's, he didn't celebrate too long because he's got a practice for some tournaments in Ireland and America, which are coming up. But he's certainly one for the future. Um, but great story. Read it in Inverness Courier today. And uh, just great to see you know a young guy doing so well. Because here's the other thing. The tour he played on, there were no tournaments in Scotland. It was all in England and Wales. And uh, he said 
well, him and his parents said they must have travelled over 20,000 miles during the tour uh, to compete. So, you know, it, it was worth the mileage, but it just shows you, you know, it's seven years old and to, to beat golfers from across Britain, just an outstanding achievement and, you know, just a feel-good story. It's always nice to have a child prodigy in some sport, isn't it? <laughs> it is, eh? Were you ever a child prodigy in anything? Oh, God, no. <laughs> Not like even my mom and dad wouldn't claim anything there. <laughs> like absolutely not. How about you? No, I think uh, the height of my sporting career was becoming 29th in the Aberdeenshire Cross Country Championships, and I think there were 36. So I beat seven. I think, it was, I, think I beat uh, seven people. So well, there you I'll go. Take that. I was the 29th fastest cross country runner in Aberdeenshire in the year 1997. Well, a belated congratulations to you. Sean Chalmers, watch out. Will's coming for you. That's, that's not what my teacher said. <laughs> Why didn't you run faster? He was a hard man. You know what? I've no idea where to go from that. So I think we're just going to wrap things up because we've been talking on for way too long. <laughs> um, I genuinely don't even know how to even start to segue from that. Uh, I'm conscious I'm not doing a fantasy football update this week. It's purely because we're already running so long on the show. It will be back in the future, I'm sure. Check out the other podcasts that Highland News and Media do. I believe there is a new episode of Active Outdoors uploaded this week. John Davidson put together an episode centering around the Loch Ness Marathon, which, of course, we talked about a few weeks ago on Balls and Whistles as well. Health and Lift Ness are currently doing recaps and, and retro looks at the first season. I believe they're coming back for a season two. As far as I know, they will do at some point. It's just a matter of when and not if. And if it was a case of if and not when, I've now committed them to doing it. So you're welcome, yes. Andy and Federica. No, let's, let's get his name right. Macho Man Andy Macho Dixon. Macho Man Andy Dixon, of course. And Federica, that's all yours. It's happening. Enough said. Um, if you like what we're doing here on Balls and Whistles, give us a like and a review. It always helps other people find us and listen to us as well as just stoking our own personal egos so what's not to love about that if you want to get in touch with questions or comments you can do on twitter at balls underscore whistles or by emailing balls and whistles at hnmedia.co.uk now i really am going to say goodbye like we said earlier will isn't here next week so i'll be riding solo once again next time out in the meantime will have a good break and everybody else thank you for listening <laughs>